Come with me on a journey through the future But I don't know where we are going As I have no bearing on the moment Alright, hello! Welcome to This Week in Mormons, the Sisters Edition with your hosts, Ariane Smith and Tiffany Hales. Welcome to the, the month, month of April. April. I almost said May. It feels like we're in May. Not quite. We um, we are we are at the tail end of April, so we are making it for April, and we are headed into what I like to call the worst month of the year. Yeah. If you are longtime listeners of us, you know that we always complain about the busyness of May. May is a little crazy. And my daughter is getting married May 22nd, so there is no rest for the wicked here. No, this is kind of payback for last year. Remember last year when we were sitting around going, wow. That's right. We had nothing going on in May. And there's nothing. Now, um, 2021, it's May, and there's everything. There's everything. (laughs) Yeah. They're making up for lost time. So, yes, on the day of your daughter's wedding, I don't even think I told you this yet. Oh. On the day of your daughter's wedding, we have a soccer tournament and a dance recital. Oh, my. We don't know how we're going to juggle this yet. Especially because your husband is doing the food for my daughter's wedding. Yeah. So this could be quite tricky. Yeah. We don't know how this is all going to work out. Okay. Well, we'll we'll have to talk about that off air because I'm sure the listeners are not concerned about the logistics of the wedding, the dance recital, and the soccer tournament. Just another example of May is back to normal, which is actually very nice. It is is very nice. It's nice to feel somewhat normal again, even though there's a lot that is still not normal. It is. It is. Okay. So, um, Back to normal for us, we had state conference last Sunday for the first time this entire pandemic. Which is amazing because we've had it at least twice, maybe three times since the pandemic. I know. I was. We kept going like, when is state conference going to be? When is state conference going to be? I was actually like kind of excited because I was excited about the possibility of a Zoom state conference. Oh, gosh. Because as a parent of young children... I've been like, Zoom State Conference, I'm here for it. Let's keep it. Exactly. Long live the Zoom State Conference. Exactly. And I've been waiting and waiting to have our Zoom State Conference. And I was like, we better get this in before we go back to normal State Conference. And even if we go back to normal State Conference, can we still Zoom? <laughs> I really hope we do. So we had our first Zoom State Conference this last um, Sunday. There were some technical issues. Okay. So what were your technical issues? Well, it's just, you know, freezing up here and there, but oh, okay. I'm not going to complain about that because as a parent of young children, I was like, I love the Zoom State Conference. Oh yeah. So it was good. Um, they kind of did a hybrid and I thought this was really interesting. They invited all of the youth to come to the state center and be in person, but not their families or parents. Just drop off your kid. We don't want you. We want your youth. Okay, and that then, won't create any congestion when state conference is over with. Everybody else had to watch it at home. So yeah, I don't know how that went because we did not drop off our youth. Ah. Um, we just, we'd gotten back from a trip and we were in recovery mode and we just, we did not have the energy for that. I completely understand. I'm guessing so, your youth was not disappointed at not being dropped off. No, our youth watched it at home with us. <laughs> But, but I thought that was an interesting way to handle, like, how do you decide who actually gets to come in person? Well, when we did our state conference, here's how they decided that. If you had a missionary serving, the families who had missionaries out in the field got to go. Oh, 
That's an that's another creative way. It's another creative way to, to handle this. Say who gets to come and who doesn't. Yes. That is arbitrary yet fair. Yes, I like it. Yeah, very creative. Okay, so I've been like just wondering this past year, like why are we not having state conference? Why are we not having state conference? I'm going to jump in really quick and talk about an article, even though we're not. Like, to news stories To yet. the news stories, yeah. Well, it seems appropriate because we are talking about state conference. Because I read this article just today, actually, and I thought, okay, now I understand why my stake did not have state conference for a year. Okay. So the, the, well, and this will be interesting because I yes. have not read this article to put it in context why my state conference has done it twice. My stake has done it twice. Right. We did it last August and then we did it just in January. Okay. So, so see, I still don't like 100% yeah. know, but this article made me think, okay, I kind of get now why okay. Okay. we didn't do it. So the church news just put out an article in the past couple of days about how state conferences and state presidency re- reorganizations have like worked through the pandemic. Uh-huh. And um, it was just really interesting. They talked about like last March when they canceled all the meetings, um, the state conferences that were on the schedule just kind of got postponed because okay. at the time they didn't know, you know, they thought it was a brief postponement. <laughs> Well, anyway, we all did. As the pandemic went on, like obviously it became clear that this it's is not going to be more long term. And they were talking about, you know, several of the state conferences that got postponed, they were supposed to change leadership. Oh. And like they talked about one stake where the stake president was moving to Japan for, oh, a, job, for a job. And so he left. <laughs> Because he, he pieced out on his stake. He, he couldn't sit around and wait for the state conference to be officially released. So he left and they just talked about how they handled these things uh-huh. because they did not officially resume state conferences, it says, until August. Oh, okay. Last year was when they really started officially. Okay. Like, Well, then that makes sense because August is a typical month so, we have state conference. So that's why we had state conference. So yeah. And so it just talked about how state conferences are under the direction of the Quorum of the Twelve and everything, like the scheduling is all done Uh through them. It's not up to your stake. So it was not my stake's decision, you know, not to have one for a year. I'm pretty sure they got pushed to the back burner because it sounds like um, with all these postponements and especially in these stakes Uh where there were leadership changes, I think there was a lot of backlog to Uh. catch up on. And there, you know, there were some stakes that were functioning with just, you know, they put the first counselor in charge temporarily. You're, you're the de facto stake <laughs> yes. president. And then, I mean, there were even, it talked about a couple of stakes in, um, I think it was in Peru where, uh, two stakes had to be reorganized because the stake presidents actually died of COVID. Ooh, Isn't that awful? That's sad. I know. And so it, anyway, it's really interesting to see like how they did this. And they talked about the different technologies they used zoom and, and how that, you know, they had to do interviews to find stake presidents over, you know, they, yeah. they use technology where they could see each other and interact yes. with each other. And one of the elders that they quoted, um, was Elder Ian, e, Elder Ian Arden, um, who's the president of the Pacific area. He just said, you know, I could feel the impressions of the spirit just the same over zoom as yeah. I could in person, you know, when he's interviewing yeah. these people to be potential state presidents. And, and so then it also talked about how they set them apart because that, that's what I thought. I thought immediately like, okay, you get called over zoom, you got this new calling. You really don't want to go into that calling without getting set apart. Right. Okay, That's very true. I mean, I'm okay being like, 
an activity day leader without and, being set apart. You know, waiting a few <laughs> but, weeks. But yeah, but <laughs> priesthood keys that might be a little more yeah. important. <laughs> so um, this was really interesting. They said that for setting apart. Um, when distance was a problem, like when it was a yeah. no traveling yeah. type of a situation, um, many times they would find somebody local and they would get approval for them to set apart the stake president, like oh. a, a patriarch, okay. a former stake president, okay. um, someone that was the high priest. That's very that creative. Local, they would, that person would have to be like full blown approved yeah. by Salt Lake. Yeah. Like this is the person we want to set apart the yeah. stake president. Yeah. And they'd get permission and then that person would do it. And they talked about like what an unusual privilege it was for those oh, yeah. people. Oh, like, yeah, for sure. To get to do that. So anyway, it was just really Okay, that is a fascinating article. That it is was, really interesting. It was kind of interesting to see the behind the scenes. So after reading it, I came to the conclusion that my stake didn't have one for a year because there were other things that they need to take care of, like Salt Lake. Huh. I think, well, then we, I have were, no I think reason. we were low on the totem pole of like getting a state conference scheduled because we didn't have any leadership changes. Well, then I have no reason as to why my stake had two in the last year, other than the fact that, you know, you do live in Zion and you're a little extra in your stake. So you may not have needed state conference, but us heathens over in the Eagle stake, well, we needed to have state conference. That's right. So anyway, interesting article about state conference. Very interesting. Okay. So tell us updates on your life. Okay. Well, um, of course, my daughter is getting married mm -hmm. May 22nd. So we are in full-blown wedding mode right yes. now. But I want to start with this story about our cousin Mike. Because he is a bishop and he had the most interesting experience. So we live in the Boise area and there is a town that is, you know, adjacent to Boise. It's part of our valley called Nampa. We grew up in Nampa mm -hmm. and um, our cousin Mike lives over there and he is a bishop over there. So I had gone to my aunt's house, who is his mother. I'd been doing some legal paperwork for her, and I went to deliver the legal paperwork there. And um, he was there, and a couple of his siblings were there, mm -hmm. and so we were all kind of chatting and catching up. And they started talking about him being a YouTube star. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Rewind here. I don't know what you all are talking about. So apparently this happened in March. So his ward did fast Sunday, the Sunday before general conference. Right. So the last Sunday in March. Well, the, the Sunday prior to his fast Sunday, um, this gentleman and his wife show up in their building and he's wearing some sort of a, a, a like safety orange. I don't know if it was a BSU sweatshirt or what it was. Anyway, they were very casually dressed. Right. So they stood out a little bit, which is, you know, we welcome all. We don't care how you're dressed. So after the meeting is over with, this gentleman comes up to my cousin, Mike, who is the bishop and in charge of the ward and says, um, when is your fast? When is your testimony meeting? And he said, well, it's going to be next week. And he says, well, can anybody bear testimony? And Mike says, yes, but you know, it needs to be appropriate and it needs mm -hmm. to focus on the savior. So he says, okay. And he walks off. So Mike ponders on this for a couple of days. It's like every bishop's worst nightmare. Oh, it nightmare. is every bishop's worst nightmare. But he's lucky he got forewarning. <laughs> so Mike ponders on this for the next couple of days. And he's like, this dude's coming back. 
and he's going to create problems. So what am I going to do? Now, I did not know this, but about two years ago, Mike went to a training. I guess Uh they were having some issues in some Meridian wards. And Mike went to a training where they were training the bishops on how to deal with essentially open mic Sunday. Right. So Mike decides, well, we are not going to have open mic Sunday, but we are going to have fast and testimony meeting. So he tells his counselors what's going on. And they call, I don't know, eight to 10 members of their ward to bear testimony that Sunday. In advance. In advance. This is like a pilot program for how we think that maybe this should run in the future. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Like I know this has been dis- discussed, discussed. <laughs> church-wide, like because this is not – Yeah. This, this happens. Some, exactly. Some weird stuff happens. And so I know that this idea has been thrown around a lot. Like, well, what if we made it more like invitation-based? I, exactly. Exactly. So he piloted it. He piloted it. <laughs> so, so Sunday rolls around – you know, they do the opening hymn, they do the sacrament, the first counselor is conducting, first counselor gets up and he says, you know, okay, um, you know, I'm going to bear my testimony. And then we've asked the following people to bear their testimonies today. So after I'm done, if you will just come up in the order that, that I've asked you. Okay. Now this gentleman is there and he is sitting in the back with his wife and she has the cell phone camera on and she is recording all of this. So the first, the not first, a good sign. not a good sign. So the first <laughs> counselor finishes his testimony and then this woman starts to walk up to the pulpit because she's supposed to testify. She's supposed to give her testimony right. next. And so you see the guy get up and he's sitting in the back and he goes up the other aisle that she's going up and he's trying to book it up there to the front before she gets up to the mic. Mm -hmm. So Mike instructs his counselor. He says, you go deal with him. You can see this all on the video. And Mike gets up and he says, essentially, he says, brothers and sisters, we're going to adjourn the meeting for today. We ask you all to leave and go home. And so the congregation is sitting there kind of in a stunned silence. And he's like, no, you need to leave and go home. Thanks. (laughs) Bye. So the meantime, this guy is up there kind of, he's not reached the, the, whatever we call it, the, the stage or podium or the elevated area in the chapel. Uh, and he's, and he's surrounded by the first counselor is there and there's several other priesthood leaders that are surrounding him and he's starting to yell and carry on and about, you know, Jesus and what's wrong with Mormons and all of this. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, some guy starts singing, what does oh, he start he singing? he started singing, we, was it, we, we thank the O God, God for a prophet. prophet. It was so awkward. It was so awkward. I, I have to tell you, that was like, it was just, cringy. That was just as hard to watch in the video as the guy that was trying to bust his way in. I'm like, I don't know which one of these guys is harder to watch. So right he, yeah. So he gets one verse out. <laughs> then the guy starts attacking Mike and he's like, didn't you tell me that I could come and bear testimony this week? And I'm here because you invited me because they're telling him you need to leave. Right. Now- they're not physically touching him. And um, Mike told me, he's like, yeah, I had some members of my congregation who wanted to pound him. But he's like, I kept saying, nope, don't touch him. Don't touch him. Mm-hmm. And um, Mike uh, Mike was even saying, yeah, d- you know, his wife is recording this. Do not touch him. Mm-hmm. So they're physically surrounding him, but they're not touching him. And Mike keeps reminding them not to touch him. <laughs> and they tell him he needs to leave. And he keeps saying, I don't have to leave. I was invited. Eventually this, you know, they call the police, he leaves, he lives down the street. So the police go and visit him and 
uh, tell him that the visitor's welcome sign Mm -hmm. no longer applies to him. So um, anyway, and his wife posts this video. So it was, Mm -hmm. it was, it was super fascinating to watch. And I really commended Mike for how he handled the situation. And like I said, he was super fortunate that um, he did get a week's worth of warning. So he wasn't on the fly. He was because I have been in a meeting. I mean, I'm sure we all have, but we, when we lived in California years ago, had a guy go up and go rogue in his testimony saying crazy things. And it was so awkward. And I think it took the bishop by shock. Nobody pulled him off. And we we all just had to sit through it. Yeah. Everybody's like looking at their feet. Yeah. And he's saying crazy things about Joseph Smith. It was awful. Yeah. (laughs) So at least... I think, they didn't have to get to that point. Exactly. And I think they're doing a lot more training of bishops mm-hmm. these days that, you know, if things start to get out of hand on Open Mic Sunday, right. you just shut it down. Right. You know, just like what Mike did. Um, you know, if it gets to the point that it's escalating, that it needs to be shut down. If you can't just say to the person, hey, you need to sit down. Yeah. So, you know, Jeff is going to ask you for this YouTube link. Uh- <laughs> So he can put it in the show notes. Probably. <laughs> How does Mike feel about that? Well, I don't think Mike cares if we share the YouTube link. The biggest problem is, is do you want to give this guy publicity for his right. YouTube channel exactly. by sharing the link for more people to see? Exactly. So, you know, we, of yeah. course, shared it amongst our family and got a big... We all had a good chuckle. We, we all had a good chuckle out of it. Especially because, you know, Mike is Mike is several years younger than both of us. And it is, it's really hard for, at least it is for me to think of him as a bishop because I well, think of he's him- a couple years older than me, but was yeah. oh, he older than you? But I just think of him as like my kid cousin, like yeah, your like kid a brother cousin. Cousin. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it was really weird to see him bishoping. Yeah, it was weird <laughs> to see him bishoping. Anyway, all right. Well, and in other news for me. We have returned to the temple. The Meridian Temple is now in what they call phase 2B, which allows for youth baptisms right. by appointment only, maximum of 16. And as you may recall, pre-pandemic, we, my husband and I had a, we were volunteers in the laundry. Right. And so every Saturday night we had an assignment to go fluff and fold, essentially. Well. So you're back at it. I'm back at it with a slight change. No longer am I a temple volunteer or a volunteer in the temple. If I want to fluff and fold, Mm -hmm. I had to apply to be a church service missionary. I had to get called as a church service missionary, and I had to get set apart as a church service missionary. Complete with the missionary tags, white ones to wear in the temple, black ones to wear outside the temple, optional, of course. Okay, so here is my question. Pre-pandemic, there were temple callings, correct? Like a veil like, worker? Like an ordinance worker. An they, ordinance they were worker. Ordinance Those were worker. callings. Those were callings. Were they considered a missionary calling? No. And they are still considered a temple ordinance worker calling. So they don't have the missionary they don't have calling the mis- title it, no. and tags. No. It's but only all other you, workers in the temple. That are not paid. Because there's right. paid workers in all the temple. All other volunteers. So all other volunteers. Cleaning, laundry. Well, uh, Probably yeah. greeters. Well, no, because the greeters are all ordinance are workers. Ordinance workers so too? it's okay. mostly the laundry and they have volunteers in the office. Okay. Interesting. So, I know. And here's what's really funny. I 
as part of my church servant missionary service uh-huh. in the temple, I have to complete 10 training sessions. Now, of course, they're all online training. Uh-huh. I have not done any of them, and I keep getting nasty emails from the church going, <laughs> excuse me, you haven't done your training. You need to do your training. And I'm like, well, excuse me, I have a wedding coming up. Hey, I'm so curious. Is this temple-specific training, or is this just general no, missionary training? It is. It is. Is this like online MTC? You're, it now, is, you're now going to the online MTC? I am going to the online service <laughs> MTC. Yes. Um, and so like the first, the, uh, and so I pulled up the training. The first is like, you know, standards of conduct, sexual harassment policy, surviving an active shooter incident, um, oh. those sorts of things. But then we get, oh, that's dark. <laughs> kids a little dark. Anyway, but then we get down into, um, you know, disease prevention, workplace mm-hmm. cleanliness, stress, um, and then we get down into specific laundry training, like pressing and how to operate the machines and how to fold all this stuff that oh. we have literally been doing for three years. Right. It's kind of hilarious. Wow. So, this is so interesting. Anyway, so yes. Yeah. So I've just kind of had to say, yeah, I will get to the training, but you're going to have to wait till after May 22nd. Right. Because the only thing that is happening between now and May 22nd <laughs> is wedding prep. Interesting. So, yes. Okay, a- is here's my question, is the youth safety uh, let's see you know, if I you have, know which oh, one I'm yes, talking the about. The youth safety that you have to that you have to watch if you're working with youth. Is that one on there? I do not. I was just curious because you're in the baptistry. I I am in I'm a release society counselor right now and I've they've been bugging me to do the youth safety training, which really? I've done in the past when I've been in primary, but I haven't done it. Well, that's interesting because I mean, it's they've probably never... been about six years since I've done it. And I'm like, oh, well, why do I have to do that in the Relief Society presence? I know. But I mean, you are, you know, you sh- should be interacting with lots of people yeah. when you're in an elders' corner Relief yeah. Society presidency. But well, no, there's nothing in here about you- the youth safety training. But that is uh-huh. interesting because I'm also in a Relief Society presidency and no one has said anything to me about uh-huh. doing the youth training. Yeah, I keep getting the emails. Do oh, your, I don't do your youth training. I'm like, sorry. No, I don't get those emails. I get the do your temple service missionary training. Oh, anyway, these the the new training is very interesting. It's very interesting. I mean, I think it's a good thing for sure to get everybody on the same page. Oh yes. I mean, obviously yours sounds a little excessive. It's a little excessive. <laughs> not gonna lie. Again, I can understand like all the general safety protocol stuff. Yeah. I get that, but I'm like, really, you're gonna teach me how to load the laundry, the the, the washer. <laughs> you're gonna teach me how to pass out clothing. You're gonna teach me how to fold. Kind of already know all of that, right. but I'll do it. But after May twenty second, <laughs> so interesting. Okay, let's move on to some other stories. Um, okay, out this week, church released um, just updated from the missionary department that they have officially said missionaries choosing not to be vaccinated will be assigned to serve in their home countries, wherever that may be. That's. So, Very true. I mean, makes sense. I was not super shocked. Missionaries have to get vaccines for all kinds of things oh, yeah. before they leave the country, depending on where they're living. Yeah, exactly. So, if um, you get called on a foreign right. mission, there's a whole slew of vaccines you have to get versus if you're staying right. stateside. So they just lumped this in with the new COVID-19 COVID vaccine. It has to be lumped in with the regular vaccines you're going to get anyways. If not, you have to stay stateside. <gasps> Or whatever country you are in, I'm assuming that they are gearing this 
or some stateside wishers. Although not necessarily because there are a lot of other countries right now that don't have access to exactly. the vaccines yet. Exactly. So, so, and that's what they're doing is they're keeping those missionaries. They'll have to stay stateside. in their countries, which I know happens a lot anyways with some of these countries. Yes. But anyway, very okay. interesting. Since we're on the topic of missionaries. Okay. Can I digress for a minute? Okay. I probably should, but I'm going to. Do you have a missionary moment? <laughs> yeah, you could call it that. <laughs> Not the kind that you like to share about in church. <laughs> I'm just really struggling. <laughs> oh, dear. So we have sister missionaries assigned to our ward. Mm -hmm. They are assigned to our ward and two other wards that meet in our building. So they're assigned to all the wards that meet in our building. Probably, it is probably, I would guess, a a five, probably no more than six square mile radius of the three wards that mm -hmm. they are assigned to. Okay. Maybe it goes out as far as seven or eight miles. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Maybe. I haven't looked at the boundaries, but it's it's pretty compact. The geographic boundaries of my ward are less than a half a mile square radius. Right. You know, I mean, we live in Eagle. There's a lot of Mormons. Yeah. Not, not quite Utah, but close enough. So these girls live in an apartment in downtown Eagle with two other sister missionaries, and they ask for rides everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, where are your bicycles? You know, why can't you walk? I mean, I am completely perplexed by this. Yeah, do they have bikes? Well- I don't know. I haven't mm -hmm. seen bikes at their apartment, but I'm like, um, I sent a missionary daughter out and one very specific thing on the list that we had to send was a bike. <laughs> right. You know, and to my knowledge, bikes are still on the list. <laughs> but like, I mean, they call for everything. Okay. So I'm like, okay, I, you know, I can, I can deal with that. It's very different from my daughter's mission where her mission president said, absolutely. You never ask the members for rides. Mm. You know, like it is literally a mile and a half from their apartment to the church. It's not far. Okay, that's not too bad. Anyway. Not bad at all. But here's my beef. So mm -hmm. they know that I'm available on Sunday mornings to give them a ride. And I'm like, okay, I'm cool with that. I just plan on that they're probably going to text me on Sunday morning and I'm going to need to give them a ride. Um, and so sure enough, every Sunday morning they do. So I show up at the precise time I'm going to tell them I'm going to be there and they are never ready. <laughs> <laughs> Never. So this last Sunday, they texted me and I said, yes, I'm happy to give you a ride. I need to be to church early. So if you could please be ready and waiting by 845, that would be great. Okay. So I pull up, send them a text. I'm here. They open the door at wave it, and wave at me and it takes them, I'm not kidding you, three minutes to get out the door. They're finishing their breakfast. They're putting on their shoes. Mm -hmm. They're running upstairs to grab something. And I'm like, Girls, what about be ready and waiting? Did you not understand? <laughs> so I think I'm going to have to go rogue mom on them next week when they ask, and I'm going to define what what waiting, what but what being ready is. I'm going to tell them much like I do with my children because I think life lessons are important. Yes, and I'm going to say. I will be there at such and such a time. I expect you outside and waiting. And if you're not, I will be driving to church and you will have to walk. Because that is what I would do with my own children. And they are very well aware of that. I tell them, the bus leaves at, and if they're not ready, well, then they're walking to church. And that doesn't end well for them because that means they're going to lose some privileges. So, all right. I will okay, give, you're going to have to report back. I will have to return and report. This goes. I think this is good. This is some life skills. Exactly. I'm just like, <laughs> come on, 
<laughs> You're getting a ride. This can't be hard. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's funny. All right. Let's move on to another story. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little salty tonight. Okay. Okay. There is a new show on the Learning Channel. Okay. I need to hear about this. You, okay. You mentioned this to me yesterday and I was like, what? I know. There is a new reality show with a Mormon. Members of the church, and I have not heard of it? Yes. I, not a Mormon, a members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right. It is called The Blended Bunch. Now, this piqued my curiosity because, as you know, I have a blended family. Right. We have three boys, three, girl, three girls. We consider ourselves kind of a modern-day Brady Bunch. So this family... Uh, the two, the two parents are Erica and Spencer Shemwell, and they got married in 2019. Now they have both lost their spouses. Erica's husband, he died in 2016 after an eight year battle with brain cancer. Okay. While Spencer's wife passed away suddenly in a car accident in 2017, um, and between them, she had seven kids. He has four kids. They have a total of 11 children. That's a lot of kids. And those children range in age from 12 to three. Whoa. So you- So 11 children under 12. 11 children under 12. Holy cow. And where do they live? They live in Lehigh. Okay. And so I watched just one episode last mm-hmm. night. This premiered in March, I believe. And um, so they've had several episodes. Like okay. It's probably only a six or eight episode season. It's kind of a small season. Okay. Um, and, because I think they're getting towards the end of their season. But I watched the first episode last night. Okay. Holy mother of chaos. <laughs> Was all I had to say. Okay. Because you've got kids screaming and learning how to adjust to each other. And in they, they're right. in a four-bedroom house. And Ooh. so they've got three... They have to divide these 11 children between three bedrooms. Okay. So how long have they been married when they started filming this? Do I, you know? I don't know. It says they got married in 2019. Okay. And so... I think so maybe probably not that long. Probably not that long. Yeah. He lived in Virginia and they met online in oh. a group for widows. Okay. And after he met her, he got the impression he needed to move to Utah. So he moved to Utah. He is a carpenter and does a lot of remodeling. So okay. he's building his business in Utah and that's at least a, a transferable skill. Yeah. And as we know, the housing market right now in Utah is just like... Yeah, it's probably doing real good there. Is, it's, it's worse <laughs> than Idaho, I think. And Idaho's in the Boise area is out of control. So, um, anyway, so they, um, uh, they, they, they have, they have kids that get along and kids Uh that don't get along and just managing all of that. They are also considering, um, maybe they want to have a baby together, adding a 12th kid, but they haven't made a final decision. Another thing that I thought was kind of interesting yet sad. Uh So, her husband, Spencer, the, the new husband, has adopted these kids. And so they now have his last name and they no longer have their dad's last name. And that was really hard for her brother in one of the episodes because he was like, you know, if my brother passed away, I would want his kids to, you know. Wait, he adopted her seven kids? He adopted her seven kids. And they took his last and name. And they took his last oh, that's name. that's interesting. I know. I thought that was really interesting because... um you know, I'm and like, that's pretty soon, right? It, I mean, yeah, I, I think 
you know, I've seen that happen before, but it seems like it's usually after years yeah. of marriage and yeah. years of like raising the kids yeah. that yeah. the family decides, well, let's make it official. And exactly. Exactly. Well, and there's one little boy of hers that just continually looks at a picture of his dad uh-huh. and just talks about how much he misses his dad. Aww. And I'm just like, well, let him keep his dad's name. Then he can at least feel connected to his dad. Yeah, that's kind of different. I, yeah, I thought it was kind of different. Huh. So, but anyway, it's, it's, it is a fascinating show if you have been in a blended family or you are in a blended family because they deal with a lot of typical issues that blended families deal with. So do they talk much about church? Um, on it, they did not in the episode that not in the first, one. not in the first okay. one, but it is so blatantly obvious that right. they are members of the church. Like there mm-hmm. is, you know, two minutes into this show, and you know the, you know, right. if you if you are if you are LDS, uh-huh. you know these folks are LDS, right? So okay, super interesting. But I am going to watch some more. So yeah, I'm curious. You know, I like a good reality television show, uh, especially so. when it has members of the church. Yes. Unless it's Real Housewives. Oh, Although yeah. then I love it. To, I love to hate it. <laughs> so. Exactly. I don't know. I like to keep my Real Housewives separate from the church. That's what I've decided. That's what you've decided after watching Real Housewives of you know, Salt Lake? I, you know I love my housewives. I just don't like them mixing with my religion. <laughs> well, I think that seems very fair. <laughs> okay. Um, next article is the, the church announced that they are reopening many of the historical sites for the first time since the pandemic. Okay. So they're opening on, starting on May 1st, um, several in Utah, the Mormon battalion, um, in California, a bunch of the Missouri, Ohio, New York, Nauvoo. Wait, is Nauvoo on here? Yeah. Yeah, Nauvoo's opening. Carthage Jail, Historic Nauvoo. They're all opening May 1st. I know. Now they did say, you know, they'll be asking visitors to distance and wear masks indoors. Um, I think some are opening May 1st and some are opening May 28th. Because if you look in the article right there, about half are opening May 1st, half are opening May 28th. Some are later in May. But in any event, by the 1st of June, they'll They'll be all open, yeah. which is great. That is great. Okay, so I'm really curious um, if they will still be doing... I don't know if you know that... The only reason I know this is I have a friend who has been doing it with her kids, and she raves about it. You can oh, get the online, online tours and schedule an online tour um, of these sites. And I've been meaning to do it because this friend of mine yeah. just has said, it's so good. We've done several with our kids, and it's like actual live tour yeah. with a missionary. It's not like a pre-recorded... Yeah. It's there's an actual it's like a Zoom with a missionary yeah. who's actually there and can talk to you personally and answer your questions. Um and so I've been meaning to get online and schedule one of those and then I saw this article and I was like, "Oh no. They're going back to like in person. Does that mean they're not going to do those? I haven't scheduled one yet and I would like to schedule one of those with huh. my children because I don't think the odds of me taking them out there are going to be happening anytime yeah. soon. Well, you know what? So I wonder that if that'll be interesting if they'll keep, keep those. If they'll keep part of that yeah. in addition to doing the live tours. I, that would be wonderful if they did because then it gives more people an opportunity right. to see the sites. And quite honestly, it gives work for the missionaries to do as well. I hope that they keep it because yeah. I, I would think that would give their missionaries a lot to do. I'm assuming yeah. they've got a lot more stateside missionaries right now. I would be assuming that as well. Than normal. So... Okay. All right. What's next? Next, we have the Helena Montana Temple. Now, you may recall Helena was one of the um, 
the the temples that President Nelson mm-hmm. announced, one of his 20 conference temples. And um, obviously this had been in the works for a while because <clears throat> they already have a rendering of the temple. Right. They already know exactly <laughs> where they're going to put it and that it's going to share a site with a meeting house. And I'm guessing all of that did not occur in three weeks. No, I think this is like record timing. Exactly. Right? For this to be coming out so soon after they announced exactly. it. Exactly. So clearly there was a plan in place mm-hmm. for a while before he announced it. But here's what I find is really interesting because when he announced all of those temples, many of those temples were going in very small locations. You know, we had Helena, Montana, we had Elko, Nevada, mm-hmm. we had Burley, Idaho. And and you and I had commented in the conference episode, I mean, Burley is literally 20 miles from the Twin Falls Temple. Yeah. And that's a nice big temple. So we're like, well, why are they putting one in Burley? But I had wondered, are these going to be smaller temples? Mm-hmm. And if the rendition of what they are doing in Helena, Montana is any indication, it will be a much smaller temple because the Helena, Montana temple is scheduled to be a single story, approximately 10,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. That's tiny. Yeah, I mean, a steakhouse is generally 20,000 square feet. So wow. if you think half of a steakhouse for a temple and you think everything that has to go into a temple. I don't even see how you could fit it. I think the it's font alone. It's going to be a little teeny font. Well, you know, here's what I was asking my husband tonight. I'm like, do oxen come in different sizes? Because I was thinking about the font in the Meridian Temple and I'm like, those oxen are huge. They must have, they have to have many oxen for many temples. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm because sure. otherwise, like, I swear our font alone, the font area has to, you know, eight, nine hundred square feet just with the font and all the yeah. supports and everything. So, so uh, anyway, it will be mini size, be, be a fun size temple is what I'm thinking. And so I suspect in some of those cities, like when the drawings come out for Burley and for Elko and some of those other mm-hmm. cities that we will... Uh, I would think that they're going to be very similar in size and it will be interesting if it will be like when they built the Boise temple, there's about six temples that they used the same plan for as Boise uh, because it was kind of their plan to economize temple mm-hmm. building. And, you know, we have one plan and we make them all the same and right. then it's cheaper. So it'll be interesting to see if they do that with these temples yeah. or if they just make tweaks here and there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, groundbreaking has not been announced, but um, they have announced the site. And like I said, it will, as is typical with most temples, it will, they'll get a new meeting house. Right. Very interesting. Okay. Next article we have is so interesting to me. This is from a blog called, I don't, I'm going to butcher the name, Zalofahad's Daughters. I think you got to be pretty close on that. That, uh, <laughs> I, anyway. I, I, would, I would not do any better. It's a blog. Um, and she, or he, who, I don't, I don't know who it is. Um, the blog. The uh, blog author um, in the past has done a whole lot of statistical research and predictions on who will become, who has the highest odds of becoming the next prophet, president of the church, based on who will live the longest, who has the most seniority, you know, all the things. Exactly. Statistical probability. Yes. Not that the Lord works off of statistical (laughs) Statistical probability. Statistical probability. But it's kind of fun to think about. It's completely fascinating. And if you are into stuff like this, statistics and odds and all the things you will like totally geek out on this article <laughs> because it's really interesting. 
it's a little bit like feels a little bit morbid to be talking about all of their deaths years in advance, but it's fascinating. (laughs) Well, and this is not the first time they have done this, right? but one interesting factor that they took into account this time that they've never done before is, you know, they base it on, you know, generally speaking, average age and, you know, when the age you were called and where your seniority is. They decide to take into account this time the age of the parents of each of the individuals and the in the quorum of the 12 and first presidency, because, you know, statistically speaking, there is some, you know, credibility to if your parents genetically lived long, so will you. So they wanted to kind of update their statistics because they first, that would make a difference. They first put out these statistics over a decade ago. Yes. And, um, so they, yeah, they just kind of wanted to see if we factor in the parents' ages, does that make it, their chances go up, down, Stay the same. Yeah. So it's really interesting. So basically based on their, the statistics that they've run, uh, top, you know, three in the running uh-huh. to become church president at some time, you know, some, yes. sometime in the next yes. decade or two. Um, top odds are for President Oaks, Elder Holland, and Elder Bednar. Um, also, Elders Uchtdorf, Anderson, Stevenson, and Suarez – have pretty good odds. May have a chance. The remainder are less likely. But she also, they also acknowledge that like, look, you know, this is based on a giant statistical number of like lifespan and, exactly. and odds of living. And this is a very tiny sample of 15 men. Exactly. So this, you know, might mean nothing. Exactly. <laughs> and they talked about how, you know, President Nelson is the perfect illustration of that. Um, their t- mortality, their custom mortality table only gave him a 23% chance of becoming the church president. He beat the odds. And if he did, it was estimated he'd only have 2.4 years in the position if he did make it, which he's already passed. We're three years in so, and going strong with no signs of slowing down. So they acknowledged, you know, this is all fun, but it's really not, yeah. you know, we yeah. have no idea. But it was just super interesting to read um, through the numbers and kind of how they yeah. came, came at these, you know, predictions or estimates and statistics. Well, and Bednar, as he has done for years, is leading the pack in terms of if you want to go play some Vegas money, place your Vegas money on Bednar. (laughs) But of course, they do say, you know, he could get an incurable disease and die early. Right. You just never never know. You never know. Anyway. Super interesting. It's fascinating if, if you're if, if you're, you're a numbers geek. Yes, if you are a numbers and a data person, you must read this article because you you will geek out. Okay. So, all right. So my next article is about an LDS church in Missouri that was set on fire uh, in a hate crime. So yikes! And I saw the pictures. This thing burned to the ground. Oh, it really did. It really did. There was maybe one section that was still. Like, kind of looks semi intact, mm-hmm. but I mean, there is no roof. You are looking right into the chapel and the, the cultural studs. hall yeah. and the studs, and and it's super sad. So, um, this happened in Cape Girardeau. I'm I'm not again. I'm I know I'm probably slaughtering the pronunciation of this, but um, there was a gentleman there by the name of Christopher. Let's see. Um, Christopher Pritchard, who apparently was beefing with the church, and he had um, told, he had said in advance to um, 
one of the church officials that he had apparently threatened to assault the bishop as well as burn the church down. And so he followed through on that. And this happened on uh, last, I guess it would have been Sunday, the 18th of, um, of, uh, of April. And so they had a couple of people who saw him around the building. They didn't know who he was. He had a black hoodie and a backpack on, but they saw this suspicious man. And then of course the church caught on fire. They located him. The police did approximately a mile and a half away. They asked him, you know, what are you doing? Where are you going? And he said, Oh, I've been at a friend's house. I was walking home. When asked where his friend lived, he couldn't, he couldn't tell him where his friend lived. Hmm. So they ended up arresting him. They take him inside. They search his backpack. And here's what's really interesting that he has in his backpack. He has two extension cords, a laptop, a projector, a small set of computer speakers, hand tools, 21 individually bagged red apples that were cold to the touch, <laughs> a cheese grater, and several other identify, unidentified items. What's very interesting is these were items he took from the church. Yes, they identified them as church. I would like to know how he got into the church library. <laughs> because those things are locked. Exactly. Down. Exactly. I don't know. How to get that projector and that laptop. Exactly. <laughs> Someone I, must have left them out. Who who knows? But seriously, why do we have 21 individually bagged red apples? Uh, I don't know. I maybe, thought that was kind maybe of... it was like zone conference <laughs> yeah, the next day or something. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so he has been charged with a hate crime because he has spoken very negatively of the uh, Mormons. And, and, you know, given the history of the LDS church in Missouri, it just makes it even more sad that this has happened in the state of Missouri, proving that uh, the Missourians' dislike for members of the church... <laughs> Still, I wouldn't necessarily say it runs strong, but it it's uh, it time time has not tempered all of it. There may be some lingering feelings. There may be some lingering feelings. Hmm. Okay. Next article we have is about the church helping the Navajo Nation ah. get fresh water. This was actually really cool. It was just talking about the church's humanitarian aid. Um. Helping out the Navajo Nation, there's a nonprofit organization there called Dig Deep that works to bring water into the homes that don't have basic indoor plumbing Now, on the reservation in New Mexico, Utah, and Arizona. Were you shocked at the number of homes on the Navajo Nation that don't have indoor plumbing? Yes. Well, it said they the statistic was crazy because they said um, 30% of the homes don't have running water. Yeah. And then across the country, just U- U.S., it said like 2.2 million people. Yeah. Don't have running water. Um, That's mind-blowing I mean, to it's me. just not something you think of. No. You know, obviously we live a life of privilege, and it's just not something you think of. And it sounds like they were already doing this pre-pandemic. Yes. They were already working with this organization to get the water. They bring in tanks um, that are being temporarily used right now outside of the home because they can't get into the homes right now because of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, to keep working on these projects. They're hoping that within several months, they'll be able to get back in and start installing running water in the homes again. But then for now, the church has been helping them set up these temporary tanks outside. And it's just so sad because I know the Navajo Nation got hit so hard with with COVID. COVID. And this is exactly why. Yeah. Right? I mean, you can't even wash your hands. How are you going to fight 
How are you going to protect against COVID? Well, so. and it said some of them have to drive, what did they say, like 40 miles a day just to get their fresh mm-hmm. water to bring it to their house. And, yeah. you know, and what a blessing that will be in their lives once they can get that indoor plumbing and, right. and be able to, you know, literally, you know, turn on the faucet and get their water. Yeah. That's, that's huge. Yeah. Huge. Anyways, this was, a, it was just cool to read about. I think we've, You know, we think we've heard lots over the years about the church's humanitarian aid in regards to water um, in other countries. Yeah. But we don't always think about that happening here in our country. Well, and I think the article said that Dig Deep had started in other countries, Mm -hmm. and then they realized how big the need was here in America. And so they started focusing on here in America and that once they are finished with the Navajo nation, they want to go to the Appalachian mountains. There are some Mm -hmm. places in Kentucky that they have identified that they want to move on and help people to get running water. Yeah. Anyway, very cool. Love to hear about those projects. Exactly. I think it's a a wonderful mm-hmm. partnership with LDS Charities yeah. um, and a good way to serve and help humanity. Mm-hmm. So kind of along that same lines, the Deseret Industries. And for anybody who lives in the Mountain West, of course, you are very familiar with the Deseret Industries because they can be found in Utah, Idaho, California, Arizona, Nevada, Washington, and Oregon. But alas, they're opening their first store outside of the Western United States. Mm-hmm. It is in a drum roll, please. Texas. <laughs> it is in Houston, Texas. Now there are some people who would say, well, Texas is kind of the West, but I digress. I don't know what they are. Like what do they, I don't think they consider, I'm like, I'm like, maybe they consider themselves part of the South. I just think they consider themselves their own entity. <laughs> oh, I think that's very true. That I would definitely agree with. Anyway, so this is a 6,500 square foot store, 65,000 square foot store mm-hmm. that is opening in Houston, Texas. It opened to the public on April 15th. It is 15 minutes away from the huge Houston, Texas temple. Mm-hmm. And what is really interesting is this is a building that the church had owned for some time. They purchased the building and its six acre lot in 2017. And so they did not construct a new Deseret Industries from the ground up. When they purchased it in 2017, the timing was fortuitous because it became a command center for relief efforts during Hurricane Harvey. Mm. Now, very, they call it miraculous. I would say um, maybe not miraculous, more just, well, I guess miraculous and miracle are kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um When Hurricane Harvey hit, the area around the building was one of the only few places in northwest Houston that did not flood during the storm, which allowed the structure to serve as a hub for community partners, first responders, delivery trucks, donations, receive equipment. It was a coordination point for 17,000 volunteers who donated an estimated 1 million man hours to remove muck from some Mm -hmm. 15,000 homes. And so 
The church has been very active in the Houston area for several years now. They've, um, you know, in addition to Hurricane Harvey, they had an awful ice storm earlier this year, and they have formed some real community partnerships there with other religious organizations, and now they've got themselves a DI. So all of those members of the church in Houston can sign up to go make their donations to the DI. Right. Well, it'll be interesting to see if we get more DIs. Like, is this... A few, a glimpse of future expansion, yes. or they just yeah. Is this just a one? Well, one and as, time thing? as we know, the DI is not just an opportunity for you to donate and a thrift store where people can go and um, purchase items. The church also uses it as a training ground. Mm-hmm. Um, many people who are needing to learn job skills uh, can go to can go to the DI and learn some job skills. I just was visiting with my mother-in-law tonight, and they have a missionary, I believe, in their ward mm-hmm. who um, has Asperger's, and he is serving a service mission at the DI here in town. So, you know, again, lots of benefits of having a Deseret Industries because like everything the church does, there is never one layer or one purpose. It is multiple layers, Mm -hmm. multiple purposes. Yeah. All right. I will finish our news section with a very satirical article, which Mm -hmm. I thought was hilariously funny. It is from, uh, let's see. Um, we can't even find the site now that posted it. Uh, but it is entitled, Millennial Gen Z Mormons Gather for the Ceremonial Passing of the Chosen Generation Title. <laughs> and so it is it is always kind of funny because, um, you know, they always say, oh, you were a chosen generation. You know, I heard that growing up in the 80s. I heard that growing up. In the 90s. In the 90s. <laughs> and so we've had several generations since then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what you know, and so this article is just joking about, you know, now the millennials uh, are passing the torch to mm-hmm. the Gen Zers. And they, they're making it sound like this is a real thing, but it's not. But it was pretty funny because they said, um, the ceremony involves one person chosen from each generation to represent their peers. Dallin Weaver, a 34-year-old home security salesman who lives <laughs> with his wife and three kids in his parents' basement was chosen to represent the church's millennial generation, (laughs) which again, this is totally fictional, but you know, they kind of spot on for the millennials, some of whom, of which due to economic reasons live in their parents' basement. (laughs) So anyway, it's kind of funny if you want a good um, comical read. funny. Okay. All right. Mormons behaving badly. Uh, Mormons behaving badly. We have a, not a repeat offender, but one that we've talked about before. Yes. You know. But he is now being sentenced. Here's here's the good news this month for Mormons behaving badly for us. Mormons have pretty much behave, been behaving themselves for the last 30 days. I haven't run across any stories that I've been like, oh, you be, be you behaving badly. I know. So we like it when that happens. We do like it when that happens. <laughs> We're getting because we've had a run of several in a row. Yeah. So a couple of things you may recall we talked about him. In fact, I don't think we talked about him in Mormons behaving badly. I think he made our regular news section because his crime was so heinous. This is the elected official out of Arizona who was running an adoption scam out of the Marshall Islands. 
He faced federal charges in Arkansas, Utah, and Arizona. So he had been sentenced in Arkansas. He'd been sentenced in Arizona. He had yet to receive his Utah sentence. He has now received his Utah sentence, which will run concurrently with all of his Mm -hmm. other sentences. And I think he's going to sit in jail for about 10 years Hmm. is what I kind of, what I kind of garnered, um, in kind of meshing together all of his sentences. And then I have to give a shout out to our lifetime achievement award, Mormon behaving badly, which we discussed last month. I awarded that to Ammon Bundy in the last month. He has racked up two more trespassing charges here in Idaho. He was told not to go to the Capitol. He went to the Capitol, got arrested, wheeled out on a special chair that they brought to the Capitol just for him, bonded out of jail, and went back to the Capitol and got arrested again. But, so, did, but did he say a prayer out front like he did the one the one time? No, I don't believe there was any praying going on. But oh, he does have goodness. his next court appearance where he is physically to appear in court with a mask on, which he has said he will not do on May 10th. So stay tuned next month for an update on my Lifetime Achievement Award winner. That's right. You've got to check the Idaho news. And his battle with the state of Idaho. (laughs) Got to check the Idaho news to keep up on them. It's very true. All right. Let's move on to favorite things. Okay. Should I go first? Yes. Why don't you go first? All right. My favorite thing this month is a podcast my friend Tanya told me about. (gasps) I need to do a podcast too. It's my favorite. Oh, okay. Okay. So this one is called, um, oh gosh, now I'm going to forget it. Something was wrong. It's called something is wrong. Something was, something is wrong or something was wrong. Something was wrong. Okay. So what is the premises of this podcast? There are a few seasons I've only listened to. I'm almost done with the first season. Okay. So the premise is it has like a true crime feel, um, but it's not really true crime. It's following a story of, um, at least season one is following a story of this girl that got engaged to this guy and kind of um, what happened when something was wrong and he may not have been all he was cracked up to be. Oh. <laughs> so it's super interesting. So it hits So on- you're wanting me to listen to this three and a half weeks before my daughter gets married. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't think about that. <laughs> Maybe wait till after the wedding. <laughs> well, it's a done deal by then. Anyway, it hits on a lot of like... Um, just relationship dynamics and there were, you know, some, some lies told and there was like some emotional abuse Uh kind of happening and the parents saw red flags Uh. and and, uh, all the things. Anyway, I, full disclaimer, I have seen no red flags. (laughs) I was completely sucked in. My husband and I both listened to it together. Oh, really? We were on a road trip this past week. Uh We were doing a lot of driving. Um, and I was completely sucked in and I came away from it being like, okay, not only when my daughters get married, not only will I be running a background check, I'm pretty sure I'm going to hire a private investigator. Oh gosh. (laughs) So I may be a little scarred, but it was really good. (laughs) Okay. Okay. What's yours? All right. So if you've listened to this, us in the past, you know, I have some serious fangirl love for Spencer Cox. Oh, yeah. The governor of Utah. Like, the man can do no wrong, in my opinion. <laughs> well, I'm afraid Spencer Cox has been one-upped. Oh. He has been one-upped by a woman by the name of Abby Cox. Oh. Abby Cox happens to be his wife. This is his wife. This oh. is his wife. I'm like, 
how is it possible? I like her more than you. Oh, I love that. <laughs> anyway, so she has a new podcast that she is doing, uh-huh. and it is called First Lady and Friends. Okay. And so she has four co-hosts on this podcast besides herself. And what this and so the podcast was just released um oh in the last couple of weeks or so. Uh-huh. And um they only have they only have one they have several interviews, but the interviews are introducing the co-hosts and introducing Abby. Okay. And then they have their first interview, which is with Dr. Angela Dunn, and she is the chief epidemiologist for the state of Utah. Oh, okay. But this is this is the, the purpose of the podcast. It says, um, Abby dives into discussion on topics ranging from education to motherhood to mental health and beyond. Abby is an outspoken advocate for getting proximate with people who have different viewpoints and using her platform as Utah's first lady to combat our empathy crisis our country is facing. Oh, I loved that term like of getting proximate mm-hmm. because so often we are divided because we are not proximate and we don't understand mm-hmm. differing viewpoints. And so she's like, I want to hear differing viewpoints. I want to understand other people's points of view and what's going on mm-hmm. with them. So, um, you know, the interview ones that I have listened to are like completely fascinating. She's got Jeanette Bennett, who is um, the CEO of Bennett Communications. They publish mm-hmm. several magazines, specifically in Utah Valley, Utah Valley News, uh, Utah Valley Magazine, Utah Valley Bride. Okay. And then she has also um, her commu- former communications director, I believe, and these are her co-hosts. These are her co-hosts. So will she have like a different one every week? Um, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that's what they do is they rotate, rotate in through. and they, okay. it, it, so it's her and a co-host, mm-hmm. uh, interviewing whoever it is they're, they're going to interview. Okay. So, um, well, that sounds good. I know. Mm-hmm. So like I said, my love for the Coxes continues on. Okay. Well, nice to hear that there's a a great lady attached to him also. Well, and I guess I probably <laughs> so. really shouldn't be that surprised. <laughs> no, no, that's great. And if you want a really interesting, uh, if you if you want to know more about them, uh, just Google them because when he became governor and was sworn in in January, Deseret News did an extensive mm-hmm. biography piece on him, including uh, how he and Abby um, ended up together. And oh, it's, okay. I'm not, spo- not going to spoil it because it's a great piece to read. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, the, the tra- trajectory of their lives could have been very different, but for one decision. Oh, well, so, now I want to go read it. So now you want to go read it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for us tonight. Yep. Twim Nation, thank you so much for joining us. You can find This Week in Mormons, of course, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can uh, email Jeff at contact at thisweekinmormons.com. And as we try to do every episode, we beg you to become a Patreon <laughs> subscriber. Right. Uh, commit to a couple of bucks a month for us to uh, keep the lights on, or at, the, at least in this case, uh, keep the hosting and the computers on. That's so, right. Thanks thank you for listening.